technically I taught my first Bible study when I was in college. The organization I was a part of couldn't find anybody else who was willing to lead it. And I was, I was deemed vaguely spiritual. I think a lot of the reason that people don't love it is because it feels intimidating. And when they come to it, they feel dumb instead of loved and accepted. We underestimate the significance of just getting the text under our skin. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Jen Wilkin. Jen is a popular speaker, a writer, and a teacher of women's Bible studies. During her two decades of teaching, she's taught thousands of women how to study the Bible, simple principles for digging into the text and understanding what God has said. She's the author of numerous Bible studies, and three books, including Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with Both Our Hearts and Our Minds. In our conversation today, Jen and I discuss common misconceptions about what it means to study the Bible, why it's so important for the Christian life, and what Bible study looks like in her own life. Stick around to the end of the show to learn how to win a copy of Jen's book. Let's get started. Jen, thank you for joining us on the Crossway Podcast. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So you've been teaching women how to study the Bible for a long time now. Uh, How long has it actually been since you started? It's been about 20 years. Yeah, so over that time, you've written three books and at least 10 Bible studies by my count. I think that's right, yeah. When did you first discover personally the joy and the excitement that can come from studying the Bible? Well, I taught, technically I taught my first Bible study when I was in college to a small group of girls. And it was just kind of because the organization I was a part of couldn't find anybody else who was willing to lead it. And I was, I was deemed vaguely spiritual. And um, I enjoyed that. I remember enjoying that, but I didn't see it as something I would necessarily do again. And then graduated and worked um, for about three years, had my first child and started to stay home and went to a women's Bible study at my church just because I wanted a reason to get dressed and to be around human beings and got there and realized, oh, these might be my people. But of course, no one wants to entrust you with teaching right out of the gate. So I was leading a small group. That was my first leadership role within the Bible study. And I just talked too much. I was dominating the conversation and uh, frustrated when I had to ask the questions and hear other people's responses. And so I just thought I was a jerk. And uh, and then one of the women on the leadership team said, uh, hey, have you ever thought maybe you have a teaching gift? Uh, which I'm thankful for. She probably should have just sent me home and said I was a terrible small group leader. Um, and then she started finding opportunities for me to teach. And I just I loved it. How was it that you first realized that, in your own words, you were dominating the conversation? Oh, you know, I think people know when they're doing that. Uh, At least I always certainly did. I just felt like um, I was uh, not always patient with the exploratory thoughts and questions of everybody in the group because I just wanted us to get to what the big point was. And I think also I had an English degree. And uh, a lot of times when you're in a small group associated with a Bible study, it's a feelings level discussion versus a thought level discussion. And I was always eager to bring it back around to a thought level discussion. But I don't know that the group always felt that uh, that impulse the way that I did. <laughs> hmm. So what does your own personal Bible study routine typically look like? Um, 
Okay, I think what you're asking me is, do I have a a separate routine from whatever I'm doing to prepare to teach? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I actually don't have two different um, categories for those things. I always joke that um, we all need accountability to study the Bible, and it just happens that I need a much higher level of accountability than the average person. I have to know that there's going to be a room full of people staring at me wanting help. Um, so I don't separate the two, the the study, which is not to say that I'm never reading or studying something that's not a part of whatever I'm working on in terms of teaching. But um, generally, much of my Bible intake is is part of preparing to write a curriculum and teach it. You know, I think a lot of pastors could probably resonate with that sentiment. You know, there's just no better way to learn God's Word and become mm-hmm. familiar with it and understand it than to prepare to teach it to others. Well, and people will say, but what's your devotional time like? And I, all I can answer is that it's deeply devotional for me to study. It, it's um, it's it, it's deeply moving, and um, and I can't ask someone else to... Um, to work towards sanctification if I haven't already done some of the wrestling myself with what the issue is. And so I I just, I've never separated the two. Earlier, you mentioned that your first step when it comes to studying the Bible is just to start reading it, reading the text over and over again. Why do you think that's an important first step before we turn to commentaries or study Bibles or other helpful resources? Well, I mean, a commentary or a podcast or a blog post or anything like that, or even a footnote in a study Bible is is what someone said about the Bible. Uh, it's not the Bible. And it depends. The only way that I can judge whether what one person said about it versus what another person said about it is true to the text is if I actually know the text. And what I've noticed is that um, in in settings that we label as Bible studies, Historically, we have devoted very little time to just gaining a sense of what the text says, of just comprehending it. We move very quickly to wanting to interpret it and to apply it. And um, because those things can be difficult without having a foundational knowledge, then we're more likely to defer to someone else's interpretation and application uh, sort of without applying any critical thought to it. So one of the first steps in developing not just people with opinions about the text, but people who are thinkers with regard to the text is asking them to be able to take in the text in such a way that they could just pass a simple pop quiz over it. Now, I'm not actually giving simple pop quizzes, but um, I'm not I'm not above it. Uh, And most of us, you know, couldn't even answer a few simple factual questions about what we have read. Um, Once we've read through a book the first time, it takes reading through it two and three times and maybe marking things as we're going um, to see repeated themes and repeated ideas and images and those kinds of things. Yeah. What are the things that you are looking for when you read through a book of the Bible on those first passes? What are the things that you're writing down or marking as you read? Well, I'm looking for simple things like transition words. I'm looking for um, story arcs. I'm looking for, it depends, right? It depends on the genre that you're in. So I'm thinking right now largely in terms of Old Testament narrative because I've been in First and Second Samuel for quite a while at this point. But um, First and Second Samuel is setting up a comparison between Saul and David. And so anytime we have a story about Saul and a later story about David that feels vaguely familiar, I start perking up my ears to see how that story is taking the theme that was introduced in the story of Saul and then um, 
enhancing it or adding to it or, or tweaking it so that we understand David in, in contrast to Saul. So I think uh, a big piece of this is before you start into a book, understanding how the Bible uses genres uh, and, and the rules of different genres, and, and then looking for clues in the text that that are aligning with the way a particular genre uses language or imagery or poetry or whatever the elements might be. So in your experience from teaching the Bible now for uh, two decades, what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions that people have when it comes to Bible study? I think far and away the most pervasive common misconception is that it should be easy. I think that we tend to think that because it's God's word and God wants me to know him, then if I just open up my Bible and spend time in it, then the Holy Spirit is just going to drop the truth bombs on me because I was faithful to set aside the time. And um, I always remind people that God could have communicated truth to us in any form. He could have communicated um, the entirety of the revelation of who he is through song, or he could have done it through a movie. He could have done it um, through a, a landscape. But when he chooses how special revelation will occur, he chooses the medium of words. And uh, so words on a page in this case, words in a book. And so we should think that just as any book, it takes some, some difficulty to, to understand and, um, and often takes repeated reading uh, and, and a diligent method of approach that uh, the Bible would be the same way. And what would you say to someone who hears that, but maybe thinks, how does that leave room for the spirit? Um, they might feel a bit concerned that all that emphasis on study and hard work, you know, pushes out the spirit's freedom to sort of move us and direct us as he will when it comes to understanding and applying the text. Um, well, I don't know that obeying a, a, a genre that was placed there by the Spirit would limit the Spirit from communicating truth. So um, if the Spirit has chosen to reveal truth through historical narrative, then I should understand how a historical narrative is written in the Old Testament. Um, the Spirit is, is revealing truth through human authors and according to human means. And so if we uh, set out with no appreciation for the very tools that the Spirit utilizes to communicate truth, um, how can we expect that we'll be able to reach to arrive at the truth that, that has been placed there? Yeah, that's a helpful reminder that the Spirit chose to communicate through human authors, not apart from human authors. Yeah, I think the more you start looking at human authorship, the more people start to say, well, but I thought it was God's word, you know, and, and it's, it is, it's God's word through human authors. And I'm a human author, like you know that, and uh, and I've written three books, and what I've never done is sat down and plopped down some random ideas and hoped that what I wanted to be communicated got communicated. You know, you order your thoughts, you build your arguments, you choose your imagery, and all of this is done under the guidance of the Spirit, and so the Spirit, Spirit, this, the truth that the Spirit communicates finds expression in these in these human forms. So, what kind of encouragement would you offer to the person who? maybe is listening today and has a desire to study the Bible. Maybe they haven't been very consistent with that in the past. And uh, maybe they've struggled with finding it boring or difficult to understand. And they've, they've lost steam or lost motivation in the past. What kind of practical encouragement would you offer that person? Yeah. Usually the place I tell people to start is, well, a good place to start is to pray and ask the Lord 
to to grow in you a desire for his word. I distinctly remember doing this in college, just telling him, I don't I don't really want to do this. This is this is hard for me and it's not interesting. And I'm going to need you to make me love this. And um, then I would say just start reading. I think a lot of the reason that people um, don't love it is because it feels intimidating. And when they come to it, they feel dumb instead of loved and accepted. They feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is overwhelming. And I think, again, we underestimate the significance of just getting the text under our skin so that when we do sit under instruction, we're able to hear it um, with a more critical ear. And I don't mean when people hear the word critical, they sometimes hear, you know, criticize. And what I mean is just to be able to think about what I'm hearing and receive it in light of the text itself. Have there been seasons in your life where Bible study has looked different for you than it does right now? Um, Maybe because of different life (laughs) circumstances or different responsibilities that you had, different schedules? Oh, no. I I always devote at least 10 hours a day to Bible study. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, like most people, I have been a primary caregiver for at least one other human being for, for, well, for the last 24 years. And um, I had four children in four years and there were no twins in there. It was just one after another. And so people will say, how did you do that? And I'm like, yeah, I don't remember. Like I, there, there's a whole period of time where I'm like, I'm not really sure what happened in there. And I always like to remind people that, uh, the Lord is aware of your season of life. In fact, he understands it better than you do. And so give him what you are able to give him in that season. And for me, I know that in a, in seasons where life was requiring a great deal from me, emotionally or physically, um, that just reading was, I thought, oh, I'm just treading water or I'm wasting time. But then on the other side of those seasons to find that I had actually been placing deposits into a savings account that was going to yield a return. Um, I think the trick of it though, is when you come out of a season of time where you haven't been able to give, you know, maybe your attention to more in-depth study and then to remember, oh, I do have, I have gotten back some discretionary time. How much of it will I now give to deepening my understanding of the scriptures versus just maintaining? Yeah, you mentioned kids and you, you have kids. Uh, what advice would you give to parents who are eager to instill a love for God's word in their kids? Not just a, a, a rote kind of um, duty of reading God's word, but a real desire to know God through the Bible. Oh, man. So when when children are small, the average Christian parent is super zealous about this. And and so they can sometimes try to do um, maybe too much too soon uh, and, and sort of over communicate their excitement about the Bible. The most important thing that a child, a young child can can see is you actually loving your Bible and you in conversation with a spouse or a friend about how the Word of God is changing you, um, even if it's attending worship with you and seeing you sit under teaching and respond to the teaching. These are all, they seem to us like because they're just modeling that they're not as significant. But um, children want to be perceived as older than they are. They want to be perceived as adults and, and as soon as they can possibly pull it off. And so when we model that for them, that is the, that is the idea that they want to rise to. And then as they get older, really, I think one of the things that 
is difficult um, around middle school and high school years is that often that is the stage where our children are learning perhaps more than ever what it means to be a serious student at school. They're learning that they need to learn uh, higher math and they need to learn uh, sciences and they need to learn foreign languages and how to read the works of Shakespeare. And they're devoting hours of time to those things or even to sports teams or, or, or other competitive um, type uh, involvements. And when they, they come to church or when they come to a place where it's time to spend time in the word, we're telling them, just do a 10-minute devotional. And uh, I think it communicates the wrong message. Um, they're capable of doing so much more. And again, if adult belief, if mature belief looks like loving God's word, then we should be asking them, hey, you know, just the way that you're a student in calculus, uh, what if you were that serious-minded about learning and understanding your sacred text? Yeah, what would you say to the parent who maybe has a teenager who they just they just aren't interested in the Bible and, and this parent desires for their child to, to want to know God better through his word, but they just don't seem to have any interest at all. Well, it's tough to give a, a prescription for something like that because there can be so many factors at play, um, relational factors, educational factors. I mean, there are any, any number of things that could change my answer to that question. But I can say what we did as parents with our kids we decided that we did not want to mandate any kind of um, spiritual discipline practice associated with the Bible. So we weren't going to say, hey, everybody needs to have this much time in the morning reading their Bibles or, uh, hey, everyone has to do has to memorize this many verses or anything like that. We really did want it to be a product of their own desire, having seen it modeled. So um one thing that Jeff did when the kids were growing up was he realized that he had actually been having his morning devotionals before they were awake. And so he moved that time to later so that he was having them at the breakfast table while the kids were having breakfast so that they would actually see that he valued that and made time for it. Um, and then we did have family devotions once a week. Um, and we would have we would read through an entire book of the Bible and we would ask the kids to come each with um, two observations and two questions that would help fuel the discussion. And that was just a family expectation that we had. But in terms of developing an individual um, spiritual discipline around it, we tried to handle that lightly. Uh, and, and we just prayed that modeling and exposure would would take their course. Yeah. What about with your spouse, um, your husband? Uh, do you guys read the Bible together on a regular basis? Is that kind of part of your routine? Uh, have you tried different things over the years? And and what advice would you give to uh, other married couples who are kind of unsure about what that might look like for them? <laughs> I always joke that nobody wants marriage advice from Jeff and me because we have not had a hard marriage. Like we just, we haven't had to fight for a lot of things that other people fight for. We just like each other and have a lot of the same interests. So we're probably the last people you want to come to for advice on these things. We just haven't had a hard, hard version of it. Praise God. But um, he has always been very actively involved in children's ministry and leading children's ministry. And then I've always been involved in leading in women's ministry in some capacity. And so that meant that we were often studying different things, but we would share conversations about what we were working on constantly. And, and then we also shared a love of reading and about theology and learning theology. And so we've, we've just always had, we've, we prioritized it, but also I would say it fits our personalities 
that we've had a climate of conversation in our home around all topics. Um, certainly one of those would be spiritual things. And we did think about, you know, going back to the earlier question, we did think about whether or not we were having those questions in front of the kids because we very much wanted to model that healthy dialogue and, and also just the mutual respect for each other's ideas and that um, it's okay to question things and to uh, take time to figure out where you stand on something, to correct a position you once held. All of those things were things that we talked about openly with, uh, with one another and also often in front of the kids. So it sounds like you're saying, although you might not have had a formal time that you guys were sitting down together and, and reading the Bible together and discussing the Bible together, you were nevertheless trying to cultivate a culture in your home where the Bible was kind of constantly being discussed and read and was just a normal part of everyday life. Is that right? Yeah, I would actually say that we just kind of naturally had that. Um, and, and then, of course, there were times where we were, you know, we, we would attend a Sunday school class together or we would be in a home group together. So there was all there were times that we had overlap in the things that we were studying. But in terms of just the two of us sitting down and saying, what do we want to study together? That's not been our approach. So we've talked about parents and spouses, uh, but now looking at pastors, what advice would you give to to those pastors who want to help their congregation be in the word for themselves throughout the week? I mean, these are guys who are preaching the word faithfully and and see the importance of that, but also recognize that um, their people need to be feeding from the word on a regular basis, uh, not just on Sunday mornings. Oh man, this is such a good question. So I think that preaching is fantastic and some preaching is more fantastic than others, obviously. But uh, many times I find that when a church has exegetical preaching in particular, they consider that to be the sum total of their duty to their people regarding Christian education. So in other words, they're going to come each week. I'm going to teach their entire books of the Bible. We're going to hit on any doctrinal issues that the text introduces, and it's going to be great. And don't get me wrong, that is great. But that is a passive learning environment. Uh, it is a, an environment where people come and sit and receive teaching, but they, in most cases, will have spent little to no time in the text themselves before they sit under the pastor's teaching. And so um, when there's nothing required of them up front, then they're going to learn differently and at a different pace than they do if there is work required from them up front. So I would say that if you don't have a Sunday school model for your church, then think about ways that you could... Um, publish the the text that you're going to be preaching on well in advance and maybe assign some questions or give questions that people can work through before they come and sit under the teaching that you're going to do. It's kind of a Sunday school workaround, you know, or if that's not something that's going to be a fit at your church, then begin asking the question, where are the dedicated active learning environments where people are coming um, for the primary purpose of learning and then where they are being asked to do work on their own, to develop thinking skills, to learn to utilize basic tools of comprehension and interpretation and application uh, so that they're not just learning a book of the Bible or a doctrinal issue, but they're learning how better to handle the Bible on their own and to parse through those issues on their own as they move forward and mature. So a lot of churches have uh, men and women's Bible studies where they're setting aside some time to, in theory, study the Bible in a, in a more in-depth way. 
Uh, but what are some of the pitfalls that you've noticed when it comes to those types of meetings? Yeah, I think that uh, even though we may say that that is our highest stated goal, it's another matter entirely to make sure that we keep that the 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 purpose of the time that we're spending together. Um, small groups have a way of devolving into caring and sharing time or into subjective uh, offerings about what a verse means to us. And some of that is just because our people have not yet learned to appreciate or to function within a thought level discussion around the text. And that's our job. We should be teaching them to do that. So there, there's a major training piece here for anyone who is leading a small group or leading one of these environments to make sure that there's been a clear expectation set um, with the person who's leading of this is the purpose of this group. And then a clear expectation set for those who are attending to say, hey, you guys need to know this is the purpose of this group as well. Then both sides can hold each other accountable. Um, I think that the probably the highest stated value in a lot of churches over the last 20 years has been community. We've seen that as the most important reason for us to gather. And you will definitely have community in a Bible study gathering, but community can have a way of sort of taking over <laughs> the, the purpose of the gathering. And so to be aware of that and then to make sure that you've taken steps to structure your time together so that the expectations are clear, that this is a learning environment uh, where we will also get to know each other and enjoy each other. But first and foremost, we're going to try to honor the work that's gone into preparing the homework and the lesson so that we can all love God with our minds um, a little bit better by the end of our gathering time. So what would you say to the Bible study leader who's listening right now, who is totally on board with what you're saying and and wants to help shepherd the group to focus more on those thought level issues first before jumping right to you know a personal response but maybe there's someone in the group or there's multiple people in the group who just they want to go there every time they want to jump right to the I feel type statements um, how can that person lovingly graciously help steer that conversation well, again, I think it's essential that you set that expectation clearly at the outset, because if you wait to set that expectation until you're in the middle of a discussion time, then someone's going to feel ashamed because they entered in at one level and you say, no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. But if on the very first day you you sort of make a verbal contract with one another, this is why we're here and this is how this discussion is going to take shape, then everyone is agreed to the direction that it's going to go. And if there is a need to course correct during a discussion time, then everyone understands, oh, we're course correcting because this is what we said we were going to do instead of just, oh, wait, why did, why did someone pull us back to, you know, a more thought level, um, uh, discussion. Now, I do want to just clarify, though, that thought level discussions do lead to feelings level discussions. It's just that we have to first think rightly about the text if we want to feel rightly. As you reflect back on 20 years of teaching people how to study the Bible, what's encouraging to you about our moment right now? Oh, I, I have been blown away. So when, <laughs> when, uh, when Crossway reached out to me and asked if I wanted to write Women of the Word, I thought, sure, I mean, you know, maybe I can pawn off a few copies on my family members and convince them that Bible literacy matters. And in the intervening years, I have seen just um, an, an, a completely unexpected response that I, I find so encouraging that um, women are 
are finding themselves capable of learning these tools and they're walking in a really great space of, okay, I'm getting better at this, but I'm never going to feel like I've got this nailed, you know, like it's something that I'll spend my whole life trying to get better at. And, uh, and I've been encouraged to see how women have taken the tools and begun to, um, to employ them in the local church in ways that are drawing other women into a greater love of the scriptures and thereby a greater love of the God that the scriptures proclaim. And just an excitement that um, this book is for us and, and that there are things that we should uh, learn to do when we're spending time with it alone. And then there are ways that we should be interacting with it when we are in community with one another. And then there are ways that we should savor it when we sit under teaching from someone who the Lord has gifted to teach it to us. And that uh, within the community of the church, we can all move toward a greater understanding and thereby a, a, just a deeper love of God. And it's just been so gratifying to to see women begin to not just um, read and affirm that they think that this matters, but then to actually take up the good work themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you, Jen. I appreciate you taking some time to speak with me today on the Crossway podcast and share a little bit about your own passion to help people uh, study God's word well. And we appreciate the ministry that you have to the church as a whole. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. That was Jen Wilkin discussing what it really means to study the Bible well. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with Both Our Hearts and Our Minds, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review and then click on the link in the show notes to enter to win a copy of Jen's book. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel through publishing gospel-centered, Bible-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.